and welcome to the Stockout. The Stockout is the show at Freightways for all things related to the CPG industry and uh, their supply chains. I'm Mike Bowden-Distel. I'm the head of Intermodal Solutions here. I work primarily on the data side of the business, but also do some media side. Uh, Freightways gives you the opportunity to do that, so um, something I enjoy here. And today, uh, we're going to be talking to General Logistics uh, System. We have Brian Vitek on, as well as Jennifer Riano. This is a company that is a regional parcel carrier, also does some truckload dedicated in, in, in LTL, and has a specialty in wine logistics. So we'll talk to them about how a regional carrier can uh, compete with some of the big uh, global integrators like a FedEx and UPS, why maybe a CPG company would want to use a regional parcel carrier for things like direct-to-consumer shipments uh, versus uh, one of the big uh, international uh, players. So we'll talk about that. Um, but before we do that, I just want to make sure that um, people are aware that we have a CPG newsletter. Um, if you want to sign up for that CPG newsletter, all you need to do is go to www.freightwaves.com forward slash the stock out. It's right there at the top of the supply chain newsletters. Um, uh, try to send that out every uh, Wednesday uh, afternoon with what's happening in the world of CPG and uh, really sort of on a variety of topics. Oftentimes try to uh, leverage what we have in our uh, FreightWave Sonar uh, data uh, platform. And before we get into today's interview, just want to give a little bit of uh, an example of the type of things that we talk about in the CPG newsletter, as well as uh, the Stockout show. And uh, so I'll just do one news story. And uh, this news story is uh, that CPGs are starting to ask suppliers to avoid buying palm oil from one uh, major uh, supplier. So that's an image from uh, Shutterstock. Um, and, and, and really the sort of the reason for this is the Indonesian conglomerate Astra Agro Lestari, or AAL, is uh, one of the top five producers of global, in the global market, second largest producer in Indonesia, facing allegations of land grabbing and human rights abuses. Um, that picture we just had on the screen uh, shows uh, what I would call dangerous working conditions. The guy's up on top of the dump truck. Um, it looks like there's a big fall risk there. But uh, really what's uh, um, being uh, discussed with that a particular company, yeah, you see how, how dangerous that looks right on the side of that uh, that, that truck trying to get the, the maximum payload uh, in there. And, and so palm oil, uh, sort of a critical ingredient in a lot of food products, a lot of cosmetics, it's finding its way into biofuels. An example would be like Oreo cookies or a lot of the personal care products that a company like Unilever or Procter & Gamble uses. And so what happened the last few days is the International Federation of Human Rights uh, sent a letter to a lot of, a lot of the largest uh, CPGs, um, including Pepsi, Hershey's, Kellogg, Unilever, Procter & Gamble, uh, Mondelez, um, and, and those companies uh, to say, well, you really have to you know, you know, get this company out of your supply chain because what they're accused of doing is essentially uh, going in and uh, harvesting um, you know, palm oil, planting palm oil uh, trees in land that does not belong to, to, to them. Uh, sort of illegally occupied uh, 16,000 acres of local farmers' lands, uh, allegedly. And then when the landowners complained about it, uh, had uh, them uh, arrested. Uh, I guess in Indonesia, that's something that you can do, have someone arrested for the right price, lots of uh, corruption uh, there. So um, that's really what's what's happening there. And and, and Pepsi came out and, and said, I think some of the others have said this too, that uh, they've asked their suppliers, they don't buy the palm oil directly. They buy it through a, a supplier. They've asked those suppliers to stop dealing uh, with this uh, particular um, you know, company, AAL. 
And uh, you can see from a commodity, of a commodity chart on the palm oil that shows, well, there's really been a lot of volatility there, which is one of the reasons I've been talking about palm oil on the stock out. And you see that, that spike in um, uh, the, the middle of last year that was related to a lot of the, the export restrictions uh, from Indonesia that has sort of come down off of its high, but, but now it's, it's starting to, prices are starting to increase a little bit. So um, it sort of speaks to the, um, you know, sort of disconnect between what the CPG companies are saying about their costs and what the retailers are saying. A lot of the retailers are saying, well, your commodity costs, like in that chart, off of its high, should we start to see lower prices that we're paying from CPGs? A lot of the CPGs are saying, well, the costs that are not traded that you can't show on a commodities chart like that, those are still rising. Those are things for, you know, things such as labor, you know, packaging, uh, and, and those type of things. So it's a, just a good example of how CPGs, I think, are going to build diversity into their supply chains. That example I gave with Oreo cookies, they sort of list palm oil as as maybe being a substitute for canola oil in a lot of cases. So uh, it, it, it seem, seems to be that um, CPGs are going to try to work more sort of substitutes into their uh, supply chain. Uh, so with that as sort of one uh, CPG supply chain uh, you know, news story uh, relating to palm oil, would like to intro uh, today's guests. Both guests are from a parcel company called General Logistics System. This is a regional parcel carrier that, in addition to parcel, does LTL truckload and dedicated out of more than 50 locations in the western U.S., uh, let's call it the western and mountain time zones. Company also has a specialty in wine logistics, which I'm hoping to, to talk about here. And from that company, have Brian Vedic on. Brian's a vice president of U.S. Sales and also oversees the company's government affairs group. Before GLS, he was at UPS for 21 years. Good to see you, Brian. Uh, and also have Jennifer uh, Riano. Jennifer is the director of national sales at uh, GLS. She has more than 16 years of experience in the industry, most of that time spent at FedEx. So one alum from UPS, one alum from FedEx. Uh, thank you both for joining me. Great, great to be Thanks here. For thank you for uh, allowing us to participate. Absolutely. Is there any more background that you'd give on your, your company other than what I did in that in sort of that brief intro? No, I just, I'd like to add that, you know, regional carriers, they're, they're the new thing, uh, but uniquely a lot of times regional carriers are, uh, that just that entrepreneurial companies uh, for us, we're an entrepreneurial company that has a multi-billion dollar backing. GLS might not be known as much in the United States, but it's very known throughout Europe and our parent parent company is Royal Mail. So we're allowed to have that kind of unique entrepreneurial spirit with that multi-billion dollar backing, which is really kind of helping us expand across the U.S. from the West to the East. Okay, so that's interesting. So you're you're in the West Coast now, and it's is is it going to be less of a of a regional company going forward, more of an inter, more of a national uh, you know company, um, and and then maybe related to that, uh, how does a company like that compete with something like a FedEx and UPS? And it seems like you would have unique experience, both of you, from from your experiences at at, that, at, that, at those companies. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. So it is it is you know going, coming from one of those big carriers that duopoly, like you said. Um, it's it's definitely different to come over to a regional carrier and um, and kind of work within the parameters of we're only getting 33 percent of the uh, of the United States footprint. But as a regional carrier, we are starting to expand to different states. I think eventually there will be an opportunity to for us to to go from from coast to coast. And I think we're slowly working our way to that. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, we just opened up Colorado. We're in New Mexico and we're just kind of working our way over 
And um, as we're doing that, our customers are asking us, where are you going next? What are you doing next? In fact, we just opened Atlanta. So we're actually going from the West Coast to Atlanta and dropping into um, into the uh, Georgia, Atlanta area to expand. Yeah, and I'll go ahead and add yeah, to that. Really okay. creates that accessibility is now what we've deemed as strategic platforms and partnerships. So uh, that's one of the verticals that Brian and I oversee. And we've seen such a growth trajectory in that space specifically was allowed regional carriers to provide that accessibility to shippers. So I think prior to the co- prior to the pandemic, um, it was a standalone system that customers would be shipping from. Well, now that we have given customers access to the platforms and they they essentially can see what carriers are available in these different markets, it's allowed for further expansion for companies like us. Um, and, and I'll just kind of add back to that global play. Um, so really coming from one of the largest players in the U.S., I specifically chose GLS because of the global strategy and that, you know, near near term, definitely the expansion domestically, but the next phase is absolutely that global expansion. So and when we look at markets, especially in the e-commerce space, and we see that, you know, from a consumption standpoint, of course, China leads um, is number one, but number two is US, number three is UK. So having our headquarters in the UK, we're positioned very well for domestic expansion as well as global. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, yeah, wanted to to ask you about that that e-commerce you know piece of it. Um, you know, so much of what a lot of CPG companies are doing now is um, you know expanding their direct to consumer uh, programs, things like subscription boxes. You're seeing um, there was a big expansion in you know grocery delivery over um, you know over COVID. Some of that's maybe come down a little bit. Are, are you seeing any drop off now in terms of e-commerce people buying fewer items? online. I mean, we've done some stories on, uh, on freight waves about um, demand for cardboard boxes is down. Are, are you guys seeing a lot of that? Well, I'll start. Um, we have a, a pretty a, a large part of our customer base is subscription businesses. Um, we deal with all of them, you know, from the very biggest to the mom and pops that are just starting. Uh, what we're seeing the impact in is some of the smaller uh, medium uh, medium sized subscription businesses uh, we see some of them kind of sloping downwards, a downward trend. But our the big subscription companies are um, actually continuing to grow and expand, uh, opening more or buying additional companies. So we do see some trading going on between different subscription companies. So one might go down, but the other one goes up. But overall, we're seeing an increase of business from our perspective. But we're the regional carrier. So we're starting to see more people come over to us as part of their, you know, not all eggs in one basket. So that might be giving us a false sense of of growth because we're starting to get more business from those um, prescri- our subscription businesses. Yeah, that's that, that's interesting. I mean, it's it's interesting too because um, you know Mark Solomon at FreightWaves just wrote an article the other day. I think we might have a graphic about it where you know he he was talking about how FedEx and UPS. You know, maybe because there's a little less demand, they've been moving to court some of these regional parcel, um, you know, shippers. So they've it's it's almost seems like they've been more aggressive, at least from from his perspective. Have you seen any sort of aggressiveness in terms of pricing um, from some of these competitors? 
I'll, yeah, I'll so start and I'll also, go ahead, Jen. Go ahead. <laughs> I'll go ahead and take this one. Um, so, of course, we've seen seen a shift in the pendulum, right? I mean, capacity was depleted over the last few years. Um, now we look at inventory. There's a glut of inventory. So now we're in this environment of excess capacity. So that's one of the variables that's contributing to this. But I actually had an opportunity to lean into the, the FedEx earnings call where they specifically talked about how they're going to approach aggressively uh, the, the pricing strategy. And you know, one of the key things that Brie Carreri stated is, uh, talk to us by March 30th, 2023. So I'm going to correlate this. And don't get me wrong. I come from FedEx. It's a great company, great culture. Um, however, when it comes to marketing, you're talking to a guru. And uh, they have the ability to flex their capacity currently. However, I'm going to correlate this to your cable contract. And when you dig into your cable contract and you first sign up, things seem great. Well, then a year goes by. And then surprise, surprise, there's all these fees that were unexpected. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know, you know, if you've seen, but they introduced some peak season surcharges, both carriers this year. Mm -hmm. um, of course, we're at a peak. There's excess capacity. So I think that uh, digging into what that really looks like is going to be key for shippers. Um, but there's, there's still the value that the regional carriers bring and that that the value that we bring is that personal touch, um, different variables that having the um, amount of business and volume, they just won't be able to be agile enough to compete with. Yeah. And I, I would absolutely, what we're actually seeing the opposite. We're seeing more national um, customers come to us asking us to kind of diversify their portfolio a little bit more. On the very rare occasion, have we seen someone go the opposite way? And normally it's because their business is down and their contractual agreements don't allow them to have the regional carrier. But that's really the exception, not the rule over the last three months. And as we're coming into April, we're seeing a, a big influx of these larger national accounts that are looking to have more of a regional footprint throughout the U.S. Yeah, that's good insight. I love the, the cable analogy. I think that's something that everyone um, can relate to. Um, you know, wanted to, to ask you too. I mean, you, you have on your website a lot about wine logistics, and I know Brian, you have a, a specialty in that. Um, you know, wanted to ask you. So, what are some of the special considerations that you have to to deal with in moving wine, and um, you know, how do you help wine shippers do that? Absolutely. So, I yeah, I, I've dabbled in wine uh, for about twenty years. I've I've had a small winery and vineyard, uh, really a hobby style, but obviously very interested in it. And I know from a winemaker's perspective, they're shipping out their artwork for a wine collector or buyer. They're getting their, their shipment that they probably paid a good amount of money for. So what, what we're trying to do in the wine industry and what we have done in the past is um, really give it a, a, a hand holding through the shipment process from pickup to delivery, uh, working with the uh, different wineries to schedule when their shipments are going to take place and make sure that they're um, weather controlled, uh, delivered um, to the to the consumer, uh, handed it to them, you know, adult signature required. Um, and then with direct to trade, um, these wineries can ship a pallet of uh, of wine with us and not have to put it in the uh, special shipper boxes. So 
Uh, we know that it's very important shipment. And within our footprint, most things are one day. So they're able to ship on a Thursday, deliver on a Friday. The consumer could be drinking it on a on a Saturday, Sunday. So uh, the goal is if there's an issue, because even if, if there's not a, an issue, sometimes that, that buyer wants to know where their package is and sometimes they want to talk to somebody. Well, at GLS, we have a wine team that actually will respond within seconds to tell them like, here it is, this is where it's going to be, or we can reroute to somewhere else so that you can get your shipment. So there is, there is a lot of laws that restrict how you ship and who you ship it to. So uh, we're always monitoring that and working with our delivery service providers to make sure that we're following the law when it comes to delivering those packages, wine, beer, and spirits. So. Mm-hmm. And, and have you had, what are, what kind of issues have you had over the years um, with, with wine? I mean, I imagine that's, you know, high value and, you know, potential for, for damage either, in, you know, wine bottles breaking or just spoil it, just not in the right uh, you know, condition. Um, but, but what have you sort of faced? So the biggest, I guess the biggest issues um, really haven't been the damage. The damages are pretty minimal. Um, our system is pretty gentle when it comes to it. Um, like I, like you said, uh, both Jen and I come from high volume, very fast belts. Our belts move at a slower rate so that uh, there's less chances for log jams and damages. Um, really, it is damages do happen. Packages will break. Um, we do have it. We segment those areas. So each building has its own area for wine. So it go into a, a temperature controlled area so that it's not going to be exposed to the heat. Um, the other issue is making sure that that the driver delivers it to a consumer, not leave it at the door. In the rare occasions, sometimes a driver might leave it at the door and it's in the sun and that's when you have spoilage. And then that's when the wine team comes in to um, address it, fix it, and get a new shipment out uh, to the consumer, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it definitely makes sense. And, and the fact that you have a wine team uh, makes a big difference. I think they're used to, to moving you know, that product with all the special requirements. Um, you know, another thing I want to ask is, you know, all these CPGs are trying to look for ways to avoid sort of the on-time and in-full fees. And would imagine that's probably a big deal for, 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 for you guys as well. I mean, even moving wine, it's sort of the percentage based on the value of the shipment. Um, so so would, that could be a big deal for, 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 for wine as well as other uh, valuable uh, CPGs. Do you have any, any thoughts on how uh, CPG can avoid some of those fees? So I'll say this. We were pioneers in advanced technology when it comes to the delivery experience, and that was providing a photo upon delivery. So a lot of the time, it, you know, unfortunately, during the pandemic, porch piracy became on the rise. And um, we really were able to assist companies with avoiding those customer service calls and having to pay out of pocket because we were able to provide you know, photos upon delivery. So we had that technology um, that really assisted or assists with that. The other key piece is going to be the visibility um, throughout the, the life cycle of the shipment. So um, one of the, the topics that I, I think we wanted to touch on was um, our partnership that we announced with Convey. And what's that? what that's allowed is to provide customers with updates throughout that 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 package um, uh, transit. So, you know, research shows 91% of consumers actively track their packages. 39% uh, 
um, track them once a day, 19% um, track them multiple times a day. So when you have that volume and velocity, I think the visibility piece is, is one of the key factors and indicators. Um, so, uh, so understanding what transit events are related to the consumer or to the businesses that they're working with are going to be one of the key variables. One of the other factors is going to be having candid conversations with the carriers about their on-time performance. So uh, coming from my background, uh, there's a lot of creativity in the marketplace with how those um, delays are uh, communicated. So I'll say that really hone into the details and understand why the delays occurred and set real expectations on the front end with especially the retailers, right? Um, you know, unfortunately, some of these large retail companies have created a pretty sizable profit center out of the chargebacks, and it, it's kind of a racket. So I think really um, understanding what those expectations are on the front end, and then um, and then from the carrier standpoint, having that 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 full visibility. You know, and this is somewhat long winded, but looking back at the inception of regional carriers, I mean, we were basically route work companies, right? So only the really strong, good regional carriers have evolved into a closed loop network that provides full automation, provides that full visibility. But just because you are a regional carrier, uh, that doesn't mean that all the bells and whistles come with that customer experience. So I think just really understanding what that environment looks like is going to be key and crucial um, on all ends. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's kind of like you're kind of in a unique position where you're a little bit closer to the customer, but you still have sort of adequate scale to provide mm -hmm. sort of the good service. Um, so very, very interesting. And maybe sort of related to that last um, you know comment is, is there anything else about the technology that, um, that you would highlight in terms of either your partnership with Project 44 or also on your website, you talk about sort of the automated sortation systems you have in Las Vegas and Ontario, uh, California. Um, can you talk about how that has worked into your operations? So we have invested into those key markets um, for a number of reasons, but what that's brought to us is 5X capacity. Um, it's allowed us to um, accommodate the volume at the right scale. So um, when we look at some of the other carriers in the marketplace and who they decided to partner with early on, um, unfortunately, that jeopardized the service performance. And so I think you know the reason why... Royal Mail acquired GLS, GLS acquired what was formerly known as Golden State Overnight in the U.S. is because of the integrity of our service. And, and that's really the value prop that we lead with, which is service integrity um, at, a, at a competitive price and um, fastest in market. And so, so we want to look at, one, where the demand is, and then knowing that um, especially you know, over the last couple of years, looking at real estate um, where there's still space, um, the Inland Empire lend to that as well as the Vegas market. So um, so a lot of 3PLs, a lot of um, retail companies, that's where they, they've continued expansion. So, of course, we wanted to parallel that. Um, so that's that's really why we, we chose there. And then, you know, as Brian um, spoke about the fully automated environment that we, we have and provide, um, that's allowed us, you know, the 5X um, capacity. And just to add to that, um, what recently we've, uh, with these national accounts coming, kind of coming over recently, we're starting to see peak size volumes uh, in the middle of March. 
and uh, the new systems, the new automations in Hayward and in Ontario and Las Vegas are digesting it very easily and it's having little to no impact. And that's exactly what we wanted it. And that's why they put the investment in there was to handle this new volume coming in uh, effortlessly and without impact to, uh, to our customer and the end user. Yeah, that's really impressive that you're able to handle that. Um, and, uh, you know, it just sort of speaks to, you know, being able to um, sort of serve customers well and with, with sort of without, um, if it, without the concern that um, you're going to have sort of the issues that some of the, um, the parcel companies have had during, you know, what's typically, you know, peak season where everything sort of moves. I think the, the busiest day tends to be December 20th or 21st, where you sort of hold your breath and hope the whole system, you know, doesn't get shut down. Um, so, so real quick, just any uh, predictions on the freight market? Some people think inventories are going to um, sort of overcorrect to the downside later this year. And then, um, you know, that's going to create, you know, higher demand. Any sort of forecast along those lines? I mean, variables that are occurring, right? I mean, we saw Swiss Bank, what occurred there over the weekend, uh, obviously SVB last week. Uh, so I think that, you know, that's the crystal ball that um, unfortunately we're not all privy to. But when we look at the key barometers um, and markets, I, I truly think that we're headed into a global um, impact here. Um, and I, I do think that um, things are going to right size. I mean, just looking at CPI, right? So consumer price index um, from January from January 2022, it was up 6.4% in 2023. So of course, that's not sustainable, right? I think inflation and the overhead and the headwinds that we're all facing, um, I, there has to be some type of correction. And I think that... Um, it, you know, and of course, e-commerce um, skyrocketed. So, you know, just to kind of break this down in layman's terms, when we look at what used to be one individual package going to a store, then it became, you know, going to 10 different homes. Of course, that's going to falsely inflate um, the economy and revenue. And, and so we're, we're definitely headed for some headwinds. Um, and, but I think this year, looking at, you know, um, still the rate and, every, and all the other metrics, it, it's going to be somewhat of a, a soft few quarters here. Yeah. So I think yeah. we're, you know, we're monitoring, we're monitoring our customers very closely, uh, working with them. Uh, but once again, I think we're seeing an increase in business uh, while these companies kind of diversify their portfolio. And we're part of that strategy to maybe offset some of that price is working with the regional carriers to, uh, get a different, uh, a different rate, less surcharges. And um, so hopefully we're still continuing to be a part of that strategy and seeing the increase in business versus a decline. That's great. sounds like things are going well for you guys in spite of everything. Um, if folks want to reach out to you, how can they do that? Uh, the, the best LinkedIn. way is, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, LinkedIn would be great. So great. my, well, my name is Jennifer, just to reiterate, sorry, I think there's a lag here. Sorry, guys. Uh, so my name on LinkedIn is Jennifer Riano. Um, so feel free. And then my email, I'll go ahead and provide that as well. Um, we are one of the mantras here was accessibility. So I'll go ahead and follow that theme. Um, Jennifer.riano at gls-us.com. And same for Brian. It's Brian with an I dot Vedic, V as in Victor, I-T-E-K at gls dash us.com. Love to hear from you. Great. Well, thanks very much. Hope everyone has a great day.
Thank you. Thank you. Enjoyed it.